Well, today is Transfiguration Sunday. We've changed the colors on the cross to white, um, which if you're not familiar with the story from the Gospels, um, you will be in a minute, and you'll see why white is significant. Um, but would you stand with me as we read today from Matthew 17? Feel free to turn there if you would like. We will be reading the first nine verses. Six days after Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, he led them up a high mountain. As the men watched, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothing became dazzling white. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter blurted out, Lord, this is wonderful. If you want me to, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he said it, a bright cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, and I am fully pleased with him. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked, they saw only Jesus with them. As they descended the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Do not tell anyone that you have, what you have seen until I, the Son of Man, have been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, the word transfiguration, um, I mean, I've heard it in the Bible, but a few years ago I started reading the Harry Potter series. Um, Asa was interested in reading it, and he was a little young, and I knew that there was some, you know, weird stuff in there. So I started reading it along with him. And the, the story is about a boy who finds out that he's part of this magical world. He's a wizard. And he goes off to wizard school and takes all these classes to learn about different kinds of magic. And one of the kinds of magic is transfiguration. Um, and it would be cool if J.K. Rowling um, invented that, but she didn't. Um, God did. So nice try. But they, have, they go to transfiguration class, and Professor McGonagall teaches the 11-year-old children how to transfigure one item from its current state to another state. And they start by transfiguring a match to a needle. Um, and so that's a little bit of visual to help you with transfiguration. But we'll talk more about it later and what it means in this passage. Um, we're going to look at the impact of this event on Jesus, on the people that were there with him, and how it might impact us as well. I thought it would be good to back up a little bit and see what was happening before this transfiguration event in the book of Matthew. And in chapter 16, um, you'll find Jesus with his disciples, and he asked them, who do people say I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And he said, who do you say I am? Here he is. He's been with these men for a couple years. He's been teaching them. He's been their rabbi. He's been preparing them for ministry on their own. And he says, who do you say I am? Peter spoke up on behalf of all the disciples. And with confidence, he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus affirmed Peter. He got it right. He reminded Peter, who was once called Simon, of the meaning of his new name, Peter. It means the rock. And he said that his church would be built on this truth, proclaimed by Peter, who is the rock. 
Right after this, Jesus was describing how he would die for the sins of many people, how he would suffer. Peter could not believe that his Messiah would die a death like this. He objected, and Jesus strongly rebuked him. In his objection, Peter echoed the words of Satan during the temptation of Jesus, and he was suggesting that Jesus could fulfill all that God had asked him to do without the cross. And this is why Jesus rebuked him very strongly and said, get behind me, Satan. It's kind of unbelievable that Peter would go from one moment to saying, you are the Messiah, to the next moment saying, no, you're wrong. This can't happen. You're not going to die. Peter believed, but there was some, a lack of understanding in his belief. He didn't understand what he was going to happen, what was going to happen. He didn't understand that the Messiah, who he thought would free Israel from their oppression, would do that, but in a different way. He would free them from their own oppression and their own exclusivity as a community. While Peter believed, he did not fully understand. How often do we believe without fully understanding? Do we object to the words of God? I think we could learn a lesson from Peter. Perhaps we should be silent and listen and allow God to change us and help us to understand. So looking at the story today, for Jesus, this event marked a turning point in his ministry. He was winding up his time of teaching and healing and traveling, and he was moving towards Jerusalem. And we all know what happened, but at the time they didn't know what was coming. He would eventually give up his life for others. In this section, we see Jesus bring three men with him up the mountain, Peter and James and John. These were his closest friends, his inner circle. Jesus didn't go alone for this important event. He knew what was going to happen, but he took people with him. I don't think we should overlook this detail. It's important when you face something big in life to have people with you, whether it's a difficulty or some great learning experience, something significant in your life should be shared with others. Um, this happened, so I'm gonna share something because that's what we're supposed to do. I just told you to do that. No one was with me this morning when this happened. For several weeks, maybe a couple months, I've been reading the word every day and you know I read and I go to a different book and I read and you know it's just there I know what I'm reading I've read it before nothing God hasn't really said this words for you and then this morning I was reading and God said this word is for you this is it was connected to what I'm preaching about but it wasn't a portion of scripture I had read yet this week and he said this is for you and it was so encouraging to be here, you know, going through the motions and I continue to read and pray and not hear really much significant from God. And then this morning, he spoke to me. And that's incredible. So these are the kinds of things we share. This is why we worship God and a community. Our unified confessions and the praises that we make together draw us closer together and they help these significant moments to stay with us when we share them. When Jesus encountered God, his appearance changed. His face shone. His clothes were white, whiter than these cloths, which are brand new. 
whiter than we could clean them, whiter than they can be bleached, is what Jesus looked like from his head to his toe. He was clean. He was without sin. His outward appearance reflected what was inside. The glory of God was reflected on his face. Right after he became dazzling white, two men appeared with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, if you're not familiar with these two men, these were very important men to the Israelites. Moses was the man who led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He received the Ten Commandments and the law. Elijah was the greatest prophet that there ever was. He did all kinds of miracles and healings. He stood up against the evil kings of Israel. These men represented the pillars, the foundation of the faith of the Jewish people. Both of these men were leaders at a time of transition in Israel, and both of them had significant experiences with God. Moses experienced God in the burning bush and on Mount Sinai, and when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining, shining like the sun. Elijah encountered God when he was on the run for his life. God spoke gently to him while he was on a mountain. These two men represent the law and the prophets. Israel followed every letter of the law, and they followed the teachings of the prophets who spoke on behalf of God. So the presence of Moses and Elijah here with Jesus validated the very work Jesus was doing. They confirmed who he was. Jesus was leading at a time of transition as well. He was transitioning from this belief that strict adherence to the law would bring salvation to a belief that through the law, God's love would allow salvation. The law is only fulfilled through the love of God. And this allows salvation for all, not just for the Jewish people. The old covenant was very good, but the new covenant was so much better. Jesus led the people in this transition, and he climbed on this mountain in the presence of God and was covered in his glory. When Peter saw Moses and Elijah standing there, he jumped in to help. Man, I don't know. I know a couple people like Peter, and they're just like the most exciting people. You know, they just jump in to help, and Peter's like, all right. Let's do this. Let's build these tents and we can all stay here. We can have like a panel discussion and, you know, listen to what Moses and Elijah and Jesus all have to say. Like, can you imagine? That would be cool, right? I would stay for that. So he had this great idea to hold on to what was happening. And as soon as he spoke his plan, it was over. The moment had passed. He looked up and Moses and Elijah had disappeared. I think this is a good reminder that we can't control God. We can't say, okay, God, here we are. We're going to stay right here in this great moment forever. We can't pause the movement of God. We can't always linger. We can't live this, in this perfect atmosphere that we find ourselves in. Things keep moving forward, and we can't go back. Now, we can pause ourselves. We can linger in God's presence Sometimes it's really easy to, you know, come to church and sing the songs and we have an order of worship that we follow. And sometimes um, we've pushed through when God has asked us to linger. And we need to learn to wait.
for God and to linger when he allows us to. But we can't just say, God, please do this right now and pour your spirit on me and we're not leaving. We can't control God like that. We can't stop what he's doing. So when Peter suggested they all stay for a while, a voice from a cloud spoke. This, for me, brings back images of Exodus, when God led the people through the desert in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. His, um, a cloud has been associated with God's presence for the Israelites. Um, as I was thinking about clouds this week, I thought, hmm, we don't really think of clouds as being God's presence. Um, clouds are kind of a negative thing to a lot of us, especially during the winter um, when it's cold and you can't go outside. Clouds cover the sun and clouds bring rain and storms. And clouds kind of, you know, they're, they're just negative. Like, we, there's not many people that see a cloudy day and are like, yes, it's cloudy, I hate the sun, right? Uh, it's a thing. But God is present in the cloud. God is present in this cloud, and his presence can't be contained within our human world. It can't be contained. The best that can be a tangible thing is as a cloud hovering over. And I think about the cloud that blocks the sun, and I think of God as that cloud blocking out everything in our lives, covering us and covering all the good things so we can't even see them. Even the really good and warm sun, God is better than that. Even the greatest things in our lives that are so good, God is better. So when we allow him to cover us with his cloud, it's even better than the good stuff we have going on. When Jesus was on the mountain, he knew he would encounter God and be changed. Perhaps the significance of that was only for the people with him. But I think it was significant for him as well. It was confirmation for Jesus. He was a human, and he was walking ever closer to his death. And he knew, you know, he's Jesus. He knows that he's going through with this. He knows that his death will open wide the doors to a whole world of people who were not allowed salvation. He knew that this was very significant for us, for everybody that would come. But I think he needed encouragement still. And so the voice of God spoke. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. This encounter with God was confirmation of who he was and what he'd been asked to do. I think it was really important for Jesus to hear the voice of his father in this moment. The voice of God is recorded in three different events in the Gospels, many times outside of the Gospels, but three events in the Gospels. At his baptism, the transfiguration, both times the voice says almost the exact same thing. This is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It says very similar things. And then the third time is later this week for Jesus, not our week, but later in this week of Holy Week, the voice again comes and says, this is my son. And each of these times, it's setting the course for what is to come. It's God is saying, Jesus, this is who you are. Move forward. This is what I've called you to do. Move forward. So each time the voice of God affirms 
who, to Jesus and to those who can hear, that this is God's Son, his beloved, and it gives glory to Jesus. So how did Peter and James and John react when this whole experience happened, when they heard the voice of God? As you and I might do, they were terrified. They fell on the ground. I wonder what it sounded like. Was it really loud and booming? Was it gentle and soft? Was it commanding? What was the voice of God like? We see the humanity in Jesus. He walks over to his friends, to his disciples. He touches them, and he says, do not be afraid. If the kids were here, I would ask them, who always says, do not be afraid? Anyone? The angels. Every time we see an angel appear in the Bible, they, the angel says, do not be afraid. Because you know what? It's scary. Poof, an angel appears. Or poof, there's the voice of God. It's startling, right? And God says, do not be afraid. Jesus here says, do not be afraid. Because the encounters are shocking, but we have to remember that God is safe. He appears to people not to harm them, but to love them. He acts and he speaks in love. The disciples were also on their journey of discovering who Jesus was. They needed confirmation that Jesus was the Messiah. I said earlier, Peter believed, though he did not fully understand. This event gave him confirmation of who Jesus was. As they went down the mountain, Jesus said something that he often says that really can confuse people. He said, don't tell anyone about this. Which I always think, why? Why wouldn't you tell everybody? Well, he wasn't done yet. He hadn't finished his work. He didn't want everybody to be so enamored by this like little thing of God showing up and turning him completely white and speaking from a cloud, right? He didn't want them to focus on that and not pay attention to what was to come, to his death and resurrection. That was the most important thing. And so while this transfiguration event was super important, what was to come was even more important. Peter looked back on this encounter and wrote about it in one of his own letters in 2 Peter. He recalled that seeing the glory of God on Jesus changed his belief. It solidified what he had confessed but hadn't understood. He reminded his readers in 2 Peter that the things the apostles were teaching were not made up. They had roots that went back to Moses and Elijah. The prophets spoke for God. He saw the glory of God on Jesus with his own eyes and heard the voice of God with his own ears. Therefore, Jesus could be trusted and believed in. He, Peter reminded his companions that all of the things that Jesus taught, all of the things they were teaching, were confirmed by God. Before we close, I want to look at this word transfigured. Um, in the, I don't know Greek. I haven't studied Greek. I don't know if I ever will because it's Greek. But I did read a lot this week, and I used the Internet, which is super cool. Um, but this word that's tra translated as transfigured is also translated as transformed in Romans. It's almost the exact same word. It's just a slightly different form of it. And in Romans 12, it says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus' appearance was transformed. 
but it's not just something that can happen for Jesus. His face, his appearance, reflected what was in his heart, and it reflected God's image. That sounds familiar, right? We're made in God's image. We can reflect the image of God. Now, for us, we might not turn brilliantly white. We may not um, have a cloud appear before us when we're transformed. But our appearance can change. Our demeanor can change. Our heart can change. Our attitude can be transformed. In this verse in Romans, Paul encourages us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's not something that we do on our own and say, okay, I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to, you know, scrub it and wash it and make it new. That's not something that we can do on our own. We need the Holy Spirit for that. We have to let go of our control and allow God to renew and rework our mind. So the story of the transfiguration of Jesus is important for us as we're about to begin our journey towards Lent and towards Good Friday. We see here in this scripture declared during the transfiguration that Jesus is in perfect form. He's exalted and confirmed. It's important to reflect on this event. So I would invite you to reflect. You can close your eyes, relax, listen, breathe in. When have you heard the voice of God? Pause and listen to him. Allow the powerful voice of God to transform your mind. Linger as the cloud of God's presence surrounds you and overwhelms you. Think back and remember a spiritual encounter with God. Share it. Carry it with you. In Scripture, God declares who Jesus is. Who does God say you are? Beloved, faithful, servant. Listen to him. Father, we pray for, for the cloud of your presence to fall upon us. Father, would your goodness, your holiness, would your very being cover all else in our lives? God, we let go of our control. We let go of the things that we hold on to. We let go of the very need to control you that we feel. God, as we as we reflect 
on who you have said we are. Would we remember that you have called us, that you are faithful to us, that we are your beloved children. God, empower us to set ourselves aside, to be filled with your spirit, to be comfortable when all we can see is you, even when we can't see the good things we've produced. Help us to also recognize that we can't see the bad either. God, help us to linger here a moment longer and to listen to your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus, the one who reflected your image, who reflected your glory. Amen.